It's good to be here. Um, you know, I'm coming in the name of Jesus. Uh, without that, um, I'd be nothing. Um, this week, uh, week or so, has given me a chance to really look back at my life, and you know, God has been amazing. Probably more than amazing, as Jackie would say, amazing. Okay, if you know her. But anyways, um, I'm uh, and and my small group would probably appreciate this. I I moved from Holland to Zealand. Um, we were talking about how we all moved, and most of my our group, small group, here's a plug for small groups. If you're not in one, get one, get in one. And we're talking about how everybody in our group was from, you know, all their other places. And I grew up basically on the north side of Holland, but moved to, to Zealand, big 15 miles or whatever from there, uh, to come here. And um, in high school, uh, I met a, a very young lady, uh, Cindy, and uh, She's my high school sweetheart, and uh, we got married at a, a fairly young age, 20, 21. Um, had uh, two children, Brad and Ashley, and both of them now are, are blessing um, Jackie and I with, with grandkids. Just love it. Aiden, um, you know, three-year-old, just love him, just love him. Anyways, as we're going through our, our um, path, uh, there were some things that were going on with, with Cindy, and, and we didn't know exactly what was going on. So one day, uh, we went to the doctor and, and found out what's going on. And, you know, if you're ever in a situation where the world stops and all of a sudden you hear this big crack in the world, that was one. Found out that she was uh, diagnosed with leukemia. Of course, at that point in time, you're, you really don't know what that means. Uh, but the doctor said, hey, we got to send you off to the hospital right now, and, and we got to find out what's going on. And so uh, we did that. We packed a suitcase. Off we went. He said, ah, you'll probably be in the hospital for maybe overnight, figure out what's going on, and we'll, we'll move on from there. Well, that one night turned into several weeks, months of, of in-hospital chemotherapies, um, months, weeks of not really even being able to spend time with Ash and Bradley because her immune system was down so low. Um, and then eventually what had happened was they sent us off to Iowa Hospital, um, became an Iowa Hawkeye for a while. Um, huge hospital. We were there from uh, November to February. And most of the time she was in solitary confinement, basically, because she had a bone marrow transplant. And through that experience, though, even though there are some downers, there are a lot of downers, one of the greatest things was that we realized was how the community, this community, but the community of Christians, and even communities probably of non-Christians who saw a need and were willing to help. She needed a bone marrow transplant, and, and she needed, we needed to find uh, someone that would match with her. So we sent out a big, hey, we're having this bone marrow um, drive. Uh, can you come out? And we, it was in a small little church down out there in Granville, and we're expecting you know, maybe a couple hundred folks to, to roll in, and, and you have to give some blood for this. And, you know, it's not an easy process. You, you go in and give a little blood and out the door, and that's it. Well, it turned out to be thousands of people who came out and uh, to be bone marrow donor, wanted to be a bone marrow donor for, for Cindy. And uh, took, well, it took you know, a couple months. Uh, finally, there's a, a young lady who wasn't uh, from Ohio who ended up being her, her donor. And so we were able to uh, get with her. She visited us, and we went through this whole process. She had the bone marrow transplant. Everything was looking good. We went home in February. Um, everything was looking good. Uh, she went back for some more blood tests, and all of a sudden they found out that it had returned. We thought she was in remission. It had returned. Uh, and from there, uh, things kind of went downhill. Uh, kids were only uh, 
two and three at the time, they really had no idea what was going on. Um, but the, the community was great. This church was, was awesome in, in helping us through that. Um, eventually, uh, at home, with Ray and Sharon there, um, Cindy took her last breath. And, um, you know, the thing of it all is, is that it was a tough moment, but for me, it was one of those moments also where, you know what? Cindy's going to a better place. And that's where, again, I'd have to say, it was in Jesus' name and in God's power that he gave me. You know, when you hear people say, well, God gives me the peace that passes all understanding. It's true. And, and so, you know, I just want to lay that out to, you know, if there's anything that, you know, whatever experience you may be going through, um, God does provide that peace. He does. And so life moves on, you know, and while you're going through that experience, of course, the world, your world stops. The world just keeps on spinning around like there's nothing going on, and you go, what's going, you know, Lord, why? But eventually you pick up the pieces and you move on, and, and, uh, and I would say God is good. God is great. And in the name of Jesus, he's been able, I, he's been able to sustain me through that. So, um, life moves on. I meet another young lady, because I quickly realize as as we're as I'm going through this process that I cannot be a mom. Uh, there's no way that a, a a dad can be a mom at the same time. That just doesn't happen. Um, there's no way. So I, I realize, and and also there's there's a a void there, a companionship. So I meet this young lady, hit it off. Everything's going great. Um, we're married for probably, uh, it was close to 10 years. Uh, but there, there are some issues going on there. And um, eventually, again, one of those moments in your world when the, the world just seems to crack in half and found out that she's having an affair. And uh, that wasn't easy, but you know, we got through this and, and uh, pretty much forgave her. And, uh, but there are some things that she couldn't forgive herself of and became, there was some physical abuse, verbal abuse, psych psychological abuse, a lot of things going on. And, and I really struggled. This is what, probably one of the darkest periods of my life where... In my heart, I was always taught, you know, you just, you got to forgive people. You, there's always a place to forgive people, and especially your wife. Well, it just came to a point where the abuse and, and so on became too much. Um, it was affecting my children, and it was very, it was very difficult, and, and today I very struggle with it and ended up filing for divorce. And today I still struggle with that. And sometimes, you know, you, you walk into church and people that you meet and, and you wonder, you know, well, you know, Ken's probably kind of fallen a little bit or, you know, you're not meeting people's expectations. And so that's something that I really struggle with. But you know what? In God's name, in Jesus' name, he's been able to, I know that he's, he's forgiven me. I know that I can be whole in him and in whatever I've done, um, wherever I've been. It's still a struggle sometimes. But God is good still. So time moves on and, and um, I meet a very special person. who has a very special person along with her, Jackie and Marietta. 
wasn't quite expecting that. Um, someone from Bolivia and um, someone with um, special needs and, and all that goes along with that. But, you know, when, you, when God sends someone in, into your life, you grab it, right? And so we have this, um, it was a long distance relationship. We had met in, in Houston, back and forth. And it's just the, the way God worked out all those details, I'd have to say, amazing, like, like Jackie says. And so because of that, I've, I've been able to get into a whole new culture. I, get, I've, I learn something every day from Mariana. I've learned that, you know, it doesn't matter uh, how you, let me see if I make say this straight, you know, in, in our perspective, what we would say is maybe normal and everything in, in worship, uh, Mariana kind of breaks those boundaries a little bit. If you ever come to our house sometime, um, you can hear her out the street basically yelling, screaming, singing, praising God. And there's been times where she's literally been in the presence with God in her way. I mean, we wouldn't understand what she's saying, right? I mean, it, it doesn't make sense to us, but God understands her heart. And she comes upstairs, and she's in tears. Because she's met with God. So that's pretty humbling sometimes because, you know, I think I could pretty much have it all together and, and I, can, I can praise and worship God in, in language and so on. But I think a lot of times a lot of my, our stuff in our, inside our heads gets in the way, right? So I guess I'm saying all that to say, you know what, God is ready to listen to your heart. What is your intention? You know, it doesn't matter where you're, where you're at at the time, doesn't matter or the garbage that you're going through or whatever, God's listening to your heart, what you have to say. He's looking for the real deal, right? And so that's, that's what I've learned from Mariana. And so just like you're, we're going to talk about, Pastor's going to talk about this layman who, you know, for, for who knows how long has gone to the, to the temple to be able to well, just to get alms, to, to get money from people. He's, he's no good. He's the lowest of the lowest in the culture, right? Lame people like that, they're, they're looked upon, they're frowned upon. You don't, touch, you don't touch them, you don't deal with them. But then the disciples come and say, hey, man, we got something to give you more than gold and silver. We, get, we come in the name of Jesus. We're going to heal you, and, he heal, and they heal him. So I guess the, the moral of the story is, 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 you know, whatever we're going through, in a lot of ways, we're like that lame man. We have stuff in our life. We have things going on that maybe we don't, we see that maybe it doesn't uh, match up to what God match, would match up. But you know what? God, God loves us. And no matter where we're at, and he's going to take us. And you know what? All we need to do is in our, in our voice say, in Jesus' name, in Jesus, heal me, Jesus. Take my life, Jesus. I want to be yours, Jesus. Take this situation from me. And it's been my experience that it happens. It's the real deal. There's nothing else that can compare to that. If I didn't know what Je who Jesus was, if he wasn't in my life, I don't know where I would be right now, folks. I think I'd be, um, I don't know. I don't think I could handle it. I don't think I could. But because God has taken the time to give his son to us, to me, to you, no matter where you're at, no matter what kind of a lame situation you may think you're in, God's going to meet you there. He's done it for me. He can do it for you. And he's, more ang he's, he's, he's running to you. We just need to be ready to, to, to take him, right? 
So there's a couple little songs here. Um, bear with my guitar playing. It's novice at the least here, but um, I hope I'm, I'm praying that God will will use this song um, to speak to to you guys. You all know the words to these songs, so um, it's a little different way of doing it. But um, sing it if you like, or sing it in your hearts. Um, we're all, we're all hurting people who God loves and is wanting to take us and love us and wrap us, wrap us in his arms. I want you to know he looked really calm and he looked really composed, but on his insides, he's walking and leaping and praising God like the lame man that you're going to hear about here this morning. Anna, would you come up and join me? Um, I want to... Uh, pray for us, and then Anna's going to read the word. We'll stand together to receive God's word together. Um, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you that a person can come here and be completely open before you and share hurts, pains, sufferings, and then bring them all across the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ, all across the lens of grace. And where there was mourning, there is now dancing. Where there was weeping, it only remained for a night, and joy came in the morning. And we're just grateful that the gospel changes lives. We're grateful that the gospel changes us. And here now, Father, we come as people ready to receive your word, being the very ones that believe that you are going to speak to us and that we are going to respond to what your word says. We come against the, the evil one, the enemy that would try to lie to us, convince us to remain in the state that we are. When there's a state that you want us to be in today, Lord Jesus, bring us there through the power of your word, through the help of your Holy Spirit, and illuminate things to our hearts here this day so that we would be gospel-centered and living that gospel each day as we approach you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand for Acts chapter 3? We're going to be reading verses 1 through 10. The final verse of chapter 2 was, and the Lord was adding to their numbers daily. So this next passage is going to be an example of what is happening in the lives of the early church of Jesus Christ. It's just one example. We know that there were probably plenty of signs and wonders. But this, God the Father and His Holy Spirit, they wrote this into Scripture so that we would benefit from it. Hear the Word of God. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get money from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet began to walk, and his ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is God's word. Amen, church? Amen. Let's receive it here this morning. Thank you, Anna. And we're always looking for people that are willing to come up here and read scripture with us because the word is to us, it's for us. We all ought to be involved somehow in the worship. I sure hope you noticed how many young people have been involved in worship here this morning. Now, I don't want to discount Pastor Jeremy and Don and Jana Bump. Between the three of them, they probably have 50 or more years of worship arts experience between the three of them. But you saw multiple young people up here uh, leading in worship uh, this morning. You've got some of them working in the sound booth in the back, and you had one of them reading scripture in front of you. We want this next generation of worshipers to be the greatest lead worshipers ever in the history of First Baptist Church until Jesus comes again. I'm grateful for that. Um, I, I want to tell you here this morning that uh, there's been a lot of spiritual warfare about this message. I've been uh, heavily, heavily in prayer about it. I, I sense it's right where many hearts are this morning, and it is going to go to the heart. So the exposition of God's Word today requires that you bring your whole person 
and we'll challenge you intellectually because we're going to take some of the history of the first century Jewish culture and the temple, and we're going to apply that. We're going to ask what questions the text is asking of us, whether I am approaching God correctly and whether I'm approaching people correctly with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to challenge you emotionally because you've already been challenged emotionally here this morning, just walking in and out of just one life that has struggled and yet has found peace and has found joy in the Savior. We're looking at something that goes far beyond this morning, an act of kindness or acceptable mercy. We will be looking at life-changing mercy, dangerous intervention in a cultural quagmire that no one seemed to be willing to touch for 40 years. Not even a first century priest would come near. So you're going to be challenged intellectually, you're going to be challenged emotionally, and you're going to be challenged spiritually. You're going to be challenged to ask yourself, does my heart approach God the way the gospel says that I can approach God? Am I asking for all that I'm, I can ask for in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Am I living for all that I can live for in the gospel of Jesus Christ? And am I offering all that I can offer through the gospel of Jesus Christ? All right, so let's get into the story because there is power in Jesus' name. That's the theme of this whole section that we will be in for several weeks. Today, we will see the power that's in Jesus' name to change life. Then when we move to Acts chapter 4 for two more weeks, we will see how the power of Jesus' name, man tries to thwart that, and yet 5,000 men come to Christ through the miracles and the signs and wonders that are occurring through the power of Jesus' name. We will find out that that power can't be stopped. It can't be extinguished. In fact, even when hardship and persecution comes, it will only build the resolve of the church. Surely you've been through some hardship. Surely you've been through some suffering in your life. Is that building your resolve for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Building your resolve as a leader in your home? Building your resolve as a representative? representative of that gospel or you just feel like checking out you just feel like quitting i think this passage today will bring great hope and encouragement to your heart if you will come wholly to the scripture both intellectually emotionally and spiritually there's power in jesus name and as witnesses to Christ's resurrection, Peter and John will offer that power. The only reason why they'll offer it is because they are personally acquainted with it. They'll offer that power, and a marginalized lame man becomes the miraculous display of God's power. The man everybody wanted to ignore will be the man no one can ignore. That's how amazing this passage is. So let's see the story correctly. All right, now I'm going to move quickly. So, so, so I'm, I'm accommodating us so that we can get ready uh, for our adult life classes and youth and children's classes too. But there are certain things I do not want us to miss. So follow along with me. Stay with me. First of all, it says they went to prayer. So even in the first century early church, maybe a couple of months after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they were still going to the three principal prayer hours that existed each day. The Jews, the devout Jews of Jerusalem, called themselves to prayer three times a day. They called themselves at six in the morning, right at sun up, and then they called themselves at three in the afternoon, and then they called themselves again as, as night was falling at 6 p.m. But this prayer that they were going to was the afternoon prayer. It was called the Minka. And two of the three prayers, uh, prayer times uh, where they would go to prayer, they would go on pilgrimage to God. And remember what they would do. They would go to the temple to pray. In other words, there was an actual physical pilgrimage that represented the heart's pil pilgrimage into the presence of God. There was time to c consider and reflect and confess your sin. There was time to consider how through blood atonement, that was the only way that you could even enter into the holy presence of God because uh, you had to have sin forgiven. And so what they would do is, 
both at the the morning sacrifice and the three o'clock prayer hour, they would have a perfect spotless lamb sacrificed every day there at the temple. As a reminder to everyone that you have to go through blood atonement to get to God. The gospel through blood atonement, through a, a substitute that had to die for all of them, would be right in front of them. They would sense it. They would know it as they were approaching God. So it was an intimate reminder to them as they went with their hearts on pilgrimage. And wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise you then to understand that, that on the day that Jesus died for our sins, on that very dark Friday, it is believed that it's right at 3 p.m. where the sounding of the shofar horn calling people to prayer through blood atonement that permits them to be in the presence of God, that Jesus gives up his last breath and says, it is finished. Think about that. We go to God through Messiah. We go to God through the blood of Jesus Right? So let me just let you see a couple of pictures up here on the screen. Now, the first one is just simply a gate picture. All right? We put it up there because we really don't know where the beautiful gate was. And scholars really disagree about where it was. Now, there were nine gates into the actual temple, four to the north and four to the south, and one at the eastern gate. Right? Now, this one, uh, I know it's not at, at the Eastern Gate because you can see some tombstones and some burial grounds next to it. But I'm just showing you this one to show you how high and elaborate and how big some of these ancient gates were there in Jerusalem. A very high gate. Josephus said that this gate was 75 feet high. It was made of Corinthian brass. And it took 20 priests just to open the gate to allow people to enter into that temple. All right? And so, and, and so now... When you're, when you're talking about this, this gate, you don't have to worry about whether it was north or south, but it was an entryway to God. It was on the way to God, on the way to temple. Some think that it was even perhaps Sukkot, which means it was the Feast of Tabernacles, which means that Jerusalem would literally be flooded with people. Not tens of thousands of people, but maybe even hundreds of thousands of devout Jews on pilgrimage to God. And they are hearing that call of the shafar horn, uh, that call to prayer, and they're being reminded at that very moment that it is through sacrifice, it is through blood atonement that they can get to God. And so where is this beggar placed? He's placed at this gate called Beautiful, right? So when does the funnel cake guy ever show up around here? He shows up at tulip time when it's high traffic time, right? When it's pumpkin fest. You can find the funnel cake guy at pumpkin fest. You can find him at tulip time. Nobody, you can't find him on Groundhog Day, one of the biggest holiday celebrations for me, right? Halfway through the winter. There's no funnel cake guy. There's no funnel cake guy for that. You've you got to make your own funnel cake at home for that because there's no high traffic. There's nobody out, out stomping around in the snow. And so this beggar was placed in front of the beautiful gate because literally thousands of people would be going by. In the condition that he's in that has not changed for 40 years, at the very least he has this small hope. He has this encouraging hope this day. Maybe I will collect more than usual. Maybe it'll be a double, a triple bonus of alms because if you're a devout Jew, the scripture taught in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that the Jews are supposed to take care of their poor. And so if you were a devout Jew, then you would give alms to, to someone. You would make sure that the poor among you were well cared for and well esteemed. And so maybe he hoped that he was going to get double or triple the amount he normally could beg for. And so there, there's the gate. It's, it's one of the ways to the temple. Now let's take a look at practically an overhead of the temple. All right? Now this is a recreation here. There's this really cool place in Israel where they recreate the entire temple and the old city around it there. And you can see um, uh, uh, this is the Herodian Temple Mount in Israel, all right? And it's at the Isra Israeli Museum. And you can see right here, this is actually, we're looking from east up 
west because you can tell that that's the Kidron Valley and that's the one eastern gate that's into the temple, all right? And if you can see some of those cuts there on that side there, you would see that those would be northern entrances and you can see four cuts there. They would be southern entrances. And one of the things that you want to notice about entering into the temple is, is you get close and you finally get through the gate and then you're in the outer courts and then you've got to even move closer and move closer and move, move closer. How do you approach God? How do you approach God? How do you get closer and closer and closer? I mean, this is a journey. This is a pilgrimage to get to God. And remember, you're probably shoulder to shoulder this day. If it is Sukkot, you're probably shoulder to shoulder this day heading toward as close as you can get in your station in life to the temple for prayer. And now how do you go to God? You go through Jesus. You go through Messiah, the blood of Jesus Christ, right? And so... Somewhere, one of these outer gates, probably, probably not an inner gate, probably an outer gate to one of the outer courts of the temple, was where this man was lying and he was begging for alms. Now, let's see a picture of a beggar here. We didn't do very well finding anything here, but this is a good uh, characterization because the beggar probably would not have held a bowl or anything out where he could get anywhere close to you. He probably wouldn't even reach out. And also that beggar would look down and not even make eye contact with you as you went by. Because we know that Leviticus tells us that the priests, no priest who had any deformity whatsoever could enter into the temple to offer bread or offer sacrifices. They couldn't do it. And the reason for this was because it was a projection toward that great high priest. Hebrews says all the priests that came before Jesus were weak. They weren't complete priests. Jesus is the greatest high priest ever and the only high priest that we need. And so Leviticus says, I require, God, holy God says, I require perfection to enter into my presence. And so no outer imperfection can enter into my temple. And so if you were a priest, you could do other things, but if you had any type of hand or, or, or foot crippling, if you had any scarring or mark upon your face, if uh, you had any kind of imperfection, lame, blind, anything like that, you could not enter into the temple. And yet, we, have, we don't have any prescription in the law of Moses for the giving of alms or for, for beggars specifically. But we do have a prescription in the law of Moses for the poor. The poor you're supposed to esteem, you're supposed to take very good care of the poor. And so when you look at the book of Ruth, for instance, Ruth is able to walk behind some of the harvesters in Boaz's field because they are supposed to leave at least 10% of that harvest behind so that the poor can come through and, and grab enough of it up and have enough for themselves. Even though it's not their land, it's not their family, it's not their clan, it's not their tribe. They're permitted to still go through there because Israel should be living out of the abundance of God's blessing and there should always be overflow that can be shared with the poor. But here's the problem. Here's the problem now. All right, If you're lame, can you walk behind people and pick up grain? You can't. If you're lame, you can't go anywhere to collect what has been left behind for you. If you're lame, the best that you can get is people have to come to you to help you with your poverty. They have to come to you. And so where does, he, where does he go? He gets carried and he gets laid right in front of this beautiful gate to ask for help, to ask for alms, right? And so this, extended to a lame man, means he had no entry into the temple. He'd never gone in there. Imperfection is not welcome at the temple, the place where you meet God. And to that, culturally speaking, a beggar was often considered wicked or a pro product of wickedness. Psalm 37 verse 25 says this. It says, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. The presumption practically from that verse is, is that if you're begging for bread, you're the children of the wicked. Psalm 59 portrays that wicked enemies are like dogs that re-enter the city at night searching for bread, searching for food. And so the righteous don't beg because the righteous would never beg because God would never leave the righteous begging. And because of that, culturally, now you're stereotyped. Now you're fixed. You're a third-class citizen. 
And so as a beggar, you knew not only were you unacceptable in the culture because it would be believed that you were a product of wickedness, there was this balance between helping him out and giving alms to him, but also staying away from him because of this cultural connotation. So he would not look you in the eye. He would just keep his head down and he would cry out, alms, alms, or mercy, mercy, please help, please help. That's all he would do. And so if you were a devout Jew, you're caught, you're a little stuck in the law of Moses here, and you're also stuck in a cultural conundrum, right? Because you are supposed to help the poor, and you know this person is incapable of helping himself. But you also were supposed to enter the temple clean. You, you've heard the shofar blow. You know that an atonement sacrifice has occurred right at that hour to remind you that it's only through blood atonement that you can get there. So your inner imperfection, any sin you know has been atoned for by these acts that occur at the temple, but you still have a responsibility on the outside to remain perfect. You have a responsibility to show yourself perfect before the Lord. So you can't come near uncleanness or any imperfection because imperfection is not welcome in the temple. And so what do you do? You don't make eye contact either. You don't speak to that beggar. And you, a devout Jew, a person wanting to make a difference in this person's life, if you really would go so far as to give alms, you would take them out and you would throw them at the, beg- at the beggar from a distance. Now imagine this picture for a second. Imagine it for a second. Right? Crowds and crowds and crowds of people, and yet there's this one gap. There's th- this one hole right in front of the Everybody's pouring in pouring in from the sides, trying to get into the stadium, right? To go and, and, and see God, right? And yet there's this big gap. There's this beggar right there, and no one's getting near him because they know if they do, if they come in contact with him, they will be rendered unclean and culturally unacceptable and unacceptable in the temple. That's how we've got to see what's going on. There's no prescription in the law of Moses for beggars. And so they were caught in this conundrum The picture of the journey to prayer is this. The culture said you need perfection to come into the presence of God. The imperfect are not welcome. So if I'm a worshiper and I'm a good Jew, I've got to provide for the poor, but I cannot approach the temple unclean. So that's what I do. I toss my money at this imperfect being, and I keep him in that social status. So physically, I made sure that I was not unclean. Now think about the hearts of Peter and John for a moment as they're approaching temple. Jesus, maybe just 75 days earlier, was crucified. And the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, they are entering temple through Messiah. They are entering through Jesus that they know to be their Savior, who declared, it is finished at three o'clock that day. So the moment when God's people were called into his presence... They were called into his presence through blood sacrifice, but Peter and John knew that came through the power of the name of Jesus Christ, their eternal high priest. And this is why the gospel transcends cultural expectations. This is why, this is why you go beyond what culture says and what culture expects. Culture said, don't go near imperfection. Classify the imperfect. Make sure the imperfect is in a class by itself. Make sure that it's distinguishable, noticeable, it's untouchable, and it's unreachable. Protect yourself. Are you withholding the gospel in your life because you're working to protect yourself? Not only would mercy in some cases be dangerous, it would ruin an opportunity for a blessing from God. And what do Peter and John do? Peter says, look at us. It's the first thing that he does. The first healing is a healing of dignity. Because when you looked someone in the eyes, you were saying, we are of equal status. We are of equal condition. These men who had looked into the eyes of Jesus, and Jesus had looked into their eyes, and had offered himself up as their Savior, they understood where dignity came from. It came from God valuing them and treasuring them as his children. And they say to this man, look at us. And the Greek there says, he beheld them. In other words, he looked up to take them in because there was something then that was going to be offered to him. Maybe this is the moment that he hopes that instead of being helped in the condition that he is still in, he's going to be helped out of the condition that he's in. Maybe this is the moment. It may be the first moment that his heart begins 
to believe. And so cultural go, uh, the gospel goes way beyond cultural expectations. The gospel sees what God sees. The, think about the proximity to the temple. The pro, they're close to the temple. There's a lot of people close to this church. But here's the difference. Many of those devout Jews that were heading to temple thought that God was there. But the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that we are now the temple of God. God is templing with us. Jesus is mobile. Jesus is mobile. Jesus can go to the people. The people don't have to go to God at this particular building or this particular place. How many people are just outside of the temple right now? They hang out in a culture that is very religious. They hang out in a community that calls itself Christian, and yet they have never been ushered into the presence of God. And Peter and John see what the gospel sees. They are close to the temple, but because Jesus is templing with them, this beggar becomes very close to the temple of God through them. God's always accessible. The power of God is always available. A lame man will ask for a little bit of mercy. He will be offered the power of God. A man expects only a little to get by in the condition that he's in. Instead, he will never beg again. A man who never got to enter into the temple will then go arm in arm, leaping and praising God with the two men that met him in the name of Jesus. A man who was seen for over 40 years as the guy you don't want to be is now the source of wonder and amazement. What the people, upon experiencing Minka, approaching God through prayer, should be filled with in their hearts the wonder of being made perfect through sacrifice and being able to enter into the presence of God and meet with him and then offer thanks to him, that is the complete story of the outward expression of this, this man. God, instead of him having to go to God, God came to him through Peter and John. The power that was in the name of Jesus Christ to heal and completely transform a life was offered to this man. He received that, was changed forever, and now was able through Jesus to offer thanks to God. He's walking, he's leaping, he's praising God. Not only did they say, look at us, they grabbed him by the hand. The gospel ought to blow up this culture, this religious culture. The gospel ought to do dangerous things in this highly religious culture that we live in. Plenty of people here are just begging for means to get by. But will we, because we have received the power that's in Jesus' name, will we offer that to them? Will we do more than just a handout? I put something up on Facebook. I, I studied so much for this. I kept on putting little points from Acts chapter 3 up on Facebook. And I said, look, we have more than a handout to offer to people. We have the gospel to offer. And someone wrote back, people are waiting. People are waiting. And that haunted me for days. People are waiting. What does that mean, people are waiting? It means that there are people that if offered would receive what the gospel has to offer. That's what it means. There are people, if offered would receive what the gospel has to offer. And Peter and John decided that what Jesus had done in and through them gave them the power in his name to offer exactly that to this individual. What are you offering? What are you offering? Are you offering the power that is in Jesus' name? Because there were numerous healings that occurred that day that we see in the passage. There was the physical healing but there were also the healings of dignity and faith. His physical reaction is symbolic of the way our hearts should respond to the gospel's power, right? God can forever have entrance and relationship with us because Jesus made a way to our heavenly Father. And so there are numerous healings that take place here that we ought to pick up on. And so the question then becomes in the story, if you want to keep reading the story, is who is the next miracle? Because basically what happened is we just zoomed in, we microscoped in, on just we telescoped right in on one guy and the power of the working of Jesus' name on one guy. And where will we be next week? Acts 4.4, 4, where it says 5,000 believers were added that day, just men alone. 
Just men alone. Who will be the next miracle? The gospel asks that question of us. Who here is willing to offer what Jesus has to offer? Who willing, is willing to cross over cultural expectations and conundrums and break through a culture that only ha- offers people sometimes a handout for the condition that they're in and will bring them instead to the condition where God wants them to be? Born again, saved, children of God, eternally rescued from hell and from sin and from death. Who will be the next miracle? Where's the next miracle? Can I just share with you the healing that we all need to experience? I think that Pastor Jeremy's going to just close us with a song here. Do I need to experience some healing in my heart this morning? Having taken in what Ken had to share with you and Ken posturing himself as that very lame man, receiving what God, though, had to offer to him, Am I walking around maybe with some bad theology that suggests that I'm still outside the gate? Do you really think you're still outside the gate? Do you? Do you really think you're still outside the gate? Today, be changed forever. Today, trust and know that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he rescues you from sin and from hell and from death. That thing that would scandalize me for five and a half years as I knew the gospel finally got lifted the minute I decided that Jesus came out to the gate to meet me. People came to me with the gospel and shared it with me, and finally I gave my heart over to Jesus Christ. Does your heart need that healing this morning? Have you reduced the gospel to being unable to meet God in your imperfection? Jesus takes care of that. Maybe there's another healing this morning, the healing of your faith. Sure, you walked in today, but truly, in hearing this, you're like, yeah, yeah, I I identify with this guy. My, My heart is crippled. I have no excitement about entering the presence of God through Messiah Jesus right now, who sacrificed himself for me. My legs aren't paralyzed, but my heart really is. You know, I visited with a man this week, and I knew God had appointed it. And so I went to meet with him, and I asked him tough questions. And he finally looked me back in the face, and he said, Pastor Clint, I feel like my heart is numb, and I don't even know how I got here. I don't even know how I got here. Forty days asking for just a tiny hand up outside of the temple gates, never coming out of the condition that you're in. That's numbing. faith need healing this morning, but more than that, how do I see myself as a party to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do I see the power that's in Jesus' name as a remedy for my friends, family members, for my co-workers, for the people in my neighborhood? Who's the next miracle? And will it come through me? Will I believe in the power that is in Jesus' name? This morning, would you, just as we finish up, would you just take the time to respond to God and say, God, here's my heart. Here's where it is. Heal my faith. Heal any bad theology that's in me. Heal my crippled heart. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would come, Lord Jesus, and meet us right here. That you would come and temple with us and and encourage our hearts remind us how greatly loved we are and how the power of Jesus took us from dead in our sins to alive with you forever. It took us from this old, broken creation to a new creation in Christ Jesus who took us from foreigners and aliens to the promise to now children of God that belong to, to you through Jesus forever. Would you convince our hearts of that? And would you convince us of the power that's in Jesus' name? God, would you rid our hearts of apathy and numbness and the paralyzation of living in a world that constantly tells us, just stay right where you are. Jesus, take us to the place where you want us to be. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. I meet on the way to temple? Who will I meet on the way to meeting with God this week? Oh, I pray that God puts people in your way.
because you have the power that's in Jesus' name and you can offer the power that is in Jesus' name. And I hope that you become burdened and, and God through his Holy Spirit brings to mind so many people that need Jesus. And, and, and he tells you, hey, hey, go through this gate just to get to that guy. I hope that happens. I hope and pray that you would keep on letting the text ask the questions that it's asking of you here this morning. Am I really asking for all I can ask for? And am I really offering all that I can offer? Am I really living all that I could live for? I just sometimes just envision what if what if every one individual in our church met one man on the way 260 people would become 520 would become 1040 would become more than 1040 I don't know going to come um, and give the benediction this morning. I'm going to be out there. I'm going to hustle out there because I want to meet with you. I want to hug you and I want to pray with you. If you're in a place and you know God is calling you out of it through the power of Jesus' name, I want to be there to pray with you. I want revival to come to you today. I want you to live in the place where God wants you to live. God wants to see walking and leaping and praising God. He wants to see, he wants to see, see the gospel operative in your heart today. So I'll I'll be out there if you want to talk with me, pray with me, or tell someone else. But keep responding to God. Keep allowing the text to ask questions of you. Got to remind you that uh, uh, we have those shoe boxes that are out there. And there's a quick deadline for those Christmas shoe boxes. There's sign-ups at the Welcome Center. There are adult life classes right after this. Yeah, take your time, visit, talk about how the Lord has spoke to you today, visit with some people, love them in the name of Jesus, but let, let church continue, okay? Thanks. Church, are you glad you came this morning? I know I am. Thank you, Ken, for sharing. Um, did you see yourself this morning in this lame beggar? I know I did. Um, I just want to share just a couple thoughts as we close. Um, There is power in the name of Jesus. Healing occurs in the name of Jesus. Demons are cast out in the name of Jesus. We have life and salvation in this name. We pray to God the Father in Jesus' name. And there's coming a day when every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. Just a couple verses I want to share with you. Proverbs 18.10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. John 14, 6. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And then lastly, if you are a believer, which I hope you all are, um, Colossians 3, 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Heavenly Father, may we all walk humbly before you this week and in the power of your name, in the name of your Son, in Jesus' name, amen.